amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Lots of events are being canceled. Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Joan Jett, and Poison canceled their tour. People who own sleeveless jean jackets are devastated. And Gay Pride is canceled. Taking its place is straight shame. I'm Brett Sigger. This is the show. That's right, people. Straight shame. Straight shame is good. We should be ashamed. Brett from the bunker. We are here. We are live. It is Thursday, May 21st. It is the year 2020. We like to remind you of the year. Um, Someone's playing music outside. That's very startling. Stop that. Don't you know I'm doing a show? I am joined today by Adam Gable. Adam, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Brett. How are you today? I I am okay. I am okay. Now, I ask everyone this. How are you holding up? Uh, I don't think we have enough time in this entire podcast for me to answer that question. <laughs> What's the thumbnail version? Is there, is there a short version of how you're holding up? Somewhere, somewhere between uh, pretty good and uh, really, really, really awful is what I would say. I think that's, that's universal, relatable content right there because that is, that is definitely, you know, it, it, I, I feel like it goes day to day and even moment to moment is, is kind of how yeah, I Yeah, by the way, I wanted to – I wanted to point out that um, Straight Shame, that's a, I saw them at the Beacon in 1997. That was a fantastic <laughs> show. I'll tell you that. <laughs> were they good? Did they play all the hits? They were good, but they weren't, you know, they weren't too proud of themselves is what I would say. They right. played, they apologized, you know. I like it. I like it. Now, you do a lot of one-liners in your act. Is that a fair, is that a fair assessment? Uh, that is a fair assessment, um, which is a, just another way of saying that I edit my jokes. Oh, is it, oh so you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily call them one-liners? You would just say well edited. No, 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 no. I I, I would call them one-liners. I just oh, okay. uh, I find that uh, it was just sort of more of a comment about other comics who uh, could be doing one-liners if they just put just the funny part in their joke. Ooh, throwing a little shade there. That's not bad. I like that. Yeah, I, I yeah I already hate myself for saying that. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's I do, live. Can't, I do can't take it back. I, it's live. Um, that, that's a, no, that's actually an interesting point. It's actually an interesting point because because certainly there are times when you know when when we go on when you know and, and you sort of cut it back to Joe DeVito likes to say say the funny part last and stop talking. You know, so and, and also and he's also a big edit the joke guy. So um, right, so right, you right. work hard on editing your jokes, I guess. Well, a lot of what it is is that I find that my first, like the first idea can be encapsulated very quickly and snappily in a very quick joke. And then the rest of the bit winds up not even making it to the stage because the four other points that I'm trying to make don't quite work. Now, uh, I will say that when I started, my first instinct was first joke, move on to the next subject. And I, I didn't really explore a lot of uh, topics in depth. I've started doing that more recently, but 
but I guess I find it harder to, to get to the funny part quicker the further you get into the center of the onion, if you will. So, so the more you go down that rabbit hole or down the yellow brick road or how, whatever metaphor you want to use, um, the harder it yeah. is to find, to find the really funny part. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, I find myself want, uh, meandering a little bit once I get past the initial point. So uh, I, I, I wrote some jokes this week, and uh, I was working on them. And, you know, it was, I was reading them for some other comics, and, like, the first line in the, in the bit was huge laugh, and then the second line, all right, and then the fourth, third, fourth line, all right. When it, at that point, that's just going to become a one-liner joke. Interesting. Interesting. Now, do you do you like those? I mean, or is it just kind of what you write? Or I mean, I guess what I'm wondering is like, is that your goal? Do you sit down and say, "I'm going to write a short joke"? Well, I think um, I think that's kind of what I was getting at. Is that initially my goal was just to write one-liner jokes and then move on to the next subject. That was what I was trying to do. Um, I have found uh, lately, uh, in, you know, <laughs> as you start to do longer, longer shows, and you realize that 45 minutes is 180 one-liner jokes. That's a lot uh, of time to film. It sure it's a, is. It's a lot of different ideas. Because so, it's usually about, like a one-liner joke is you can squeeze four or five of those into a, into a minute. So if you do an, an hour-long set, it's a lot of ideas. So sometimes it's, and every time you change your idea, the audience kind of goes, oh, what's, what's going on here? Like you have to, they sort of have to reacclimate themselves. You get, you're on a highway, there's six lanes. Then you get onto a two-lane highway. Then you get onto a one-lane highway. Then you get onto a four-lane highway. Every time you switch highways, you have to re-acclimate re- the, the way you're driving. So every time you change the subject, the audience has to, like, take, get taken out of what they're doing and move on to the next subject, which can be jarring repeatedly and constantly over the course of a very long set. So I find that sometimes it's helpful in a longer set to develop ideas a little bit further, a little bit, flesh them out a little bit more. But I, I honestly, I find that very hard. I find it hard to figure out where the joke is going after that first line. Do you, do you, do you, does it help you at all to group your one-liners together by subject? Uh, yeah, but that's, a, that's more of a memory kind of thing because to me, like I have a lot of jokes about drugs. Right. Um, and they're not really all re- really related, except for the fact that they're all drug jokes. They are still, if you will, different streets in the neighborhood. Uh, it's still a left turn every time I talk about something new. That's really just helpful for me to remember to say everything that I want to say. If all right, I got 15 drug jokes, I'm going to do all those and then I'm going to move on to the next thing. Right. Um, yeah. Is it is it harder to remember the one-liners? Like to because I I found that it is. Like when I when I started, I was very you know sort of disconnected one-liners, and it, I I found it more difficult to memorize that set. And now, now to be fair, I was also just starting, so maybe that was part of it too. But um, as I got more into it, and I was sort of doing you know things that were more topic oriented, I found it a little easier to commit it to memory. I uh, I don't. I found that. If I like the joke, I don't have a problem remembering it. Oh, interesting. It's re- it's really a matter of I tend to forget the things that I'm not as comfortable with, whether that's because I'm doing a set that I've done many times, and I know that, you know, and I, I know that even in the best of audiences, this joke doesn't always land. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna forget that joke if I'm in a, an audience that's not really with me, if I'm not in my ideal comfort zone. Uh, and then also, I mean, new jokes, jokes that I'm not 100% comfortable with yet tend to fall out of my head. But I don't have a problem. 
if I was just going to do, like, if, if I was on a one-liner show and they wanted me to do 15 minutes of just one-liner, new idea every laugh, and I knew exactly what I was going to do for those 15 minutes, I probably wouldn't have a problem getting 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 through all of them without right. getting anything. Hmm, interesting. Um, so do you find that the comics you like also are one-liner-oriented comics? Uh, yeah, I mean, one-liner... Uh, one-liner comic comedy has sort of evolved a little bit because, you know, people think about guys like Mitch Hedberg as, you know, the, uh, the, the sort of ideal one-liner comic of the last 20 years. But if you listen to his material, he's got a lot of, you know, it's similar to the kind of uh, 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 pattern that I was talking about where there's, you know, it's a, a, a one-liner joke and then, you know, a minute or two of, of riffing about that one-liner and then on to the next one. That's the kind of stuff that, uh, yeah, that appeals to me the most. I really, I, I, I have a lot of difficulty with conversational comedy. I find it to be very boring. And, um, I mean, not, not that I necessarily don't like it. It just doesn't hold my interest. You know, I'm not a very, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't like to throw a lot of shade at other comics, despite what happened in the first minute of this podcast. Um, I, uh, but I, I, it's, it's not really my thing. The conversational stuff is, is, is harder for me to, to pay attention to. I think it's more because my mind starts to wander about how whatever the person is talking about starts to affect me and where I would go with that subject. If somebody's talking about something that is beyond my scope of, I wouldn't say understanding, but beyond my, my, my way of thinking, then I'm more likely to stick with them to see where they take it. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Cause I would, I mean, I would say a lot of, I mean, certainly a lot of comedy has become very conversational as people are kind of doing, you know, longer, chattier bits to, to uh, you know, I mean, I, I tend to gravitate more to more towards the really, the really structured jokes. Um, right. But, but I mean, I, I also feel like that structure is there in any good joke. Like if it's a well-written joke, it's a well-written joke. Like it doesn't, you know, whether or not it's a one liner or whether it's one bit that goes on for, you know, seven or eight minutes, you know, it, it, if it's, if, if the, someone put in the time on it, then you're going to, you're going to notice, you know, you're going to be yeah, able to tell. Get, get- I think Gav, Jim Gaffigan is probably the best example of that because, yeah, I'm Gaffigan is is really one of my favorites. I mean, I would probably say Hedberg and Gaffigan are probably my two the two people who specials I can watch over and over and over again. Um, and I think that to me, Gaffigan is not a one liner comic, but the structure of his jokes is very. It's like you said, very very set up premise punch set up premise punch or premise set up punch. I guess I said it backwards. Um, that and, and so I don't necessarily think that I'm 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 a fan of the one linery stuff as much as I am the structure, and again the more sort of absurdist esoteric kind of topics. You know, to me it's you think about the hot pocket or the the sea cow joke. I mean, nobody else is going to say that, right? I mean, uh, you, you listen to, to Gaffigan talk about sea cows. And, uh, manatees and how other people in the in the in the ocean, other fish are calling them a sea cow. To me, it's it's just I would never, my mind would never go there. So right. When he's talking. I'm listening. I'm just listening. Right. You're taking that journey with him because he. he but but what a lot of that is because he's put in the work. I mean, one of the fun things about being in being in New York is you get to see. You know, you can get to see some of these guys like working on their material. I've seen him at Gotham a number of times, yeah. and I would I saw him one week and then I saw him again a couple of weeks later, 
and because he drops in on the new talent shows, and so I was going to a bunch of those. Right, right, right. And he 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 had, he had tweaked the joke, like it was it was a little tweak. I, I I wish I could remember exactly which joke, but it was like he'd he'd moved a word. He he you know he'd he'd written a new tag. He just and that's I find that fascinating to listen to. What 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 blows me away about those about seeing the pros, you know, and I'm and I'm when I say the pros, I mean the like you know the the celebrity comedians, right? Like not the not the people that you and I know that no one's ever heard of. But when I'm on a sh- when I'm on a show and or I'm watching the show and a celebrity of Seinfeld or Gaffigan or you know Judah Friedlander drops in or whatever, and they're they're on they're doing their it's amazing to watch them and see that they that 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 sort of uncomfortability with the new material never really disappears because mm-hmm. I've seen that same thing that you've seen. Um, and, you know, so the gap is going to come out and every, you know, it's always a huge, huge response. And then the first minute or two is just sort of the audience being like, I can't believe I'm watching the gap again. And they laugh at everything. And, and then they're like, all right, let me work on some new jokes. And they pull out a piece of paper or they, you know, they take out their phone or whatever. And you can see on their face that it switches and suddenly they're the, you know, they're the, two-year comic again, going, God, right. these people like this thing that I'm saying. And to a certain extent, they're, um, with them, it's even, uh, the stakes are even higher because you don't want to be the celebrity that 200 people saw in a club and bombed. I mean, there's no. that scene in, do you ever see that movie, Comedian, the, the Seinfeld Comedian movie? Uh, yes. Right, so there's the moment where, so he does, he, do, he did, I think he did, um, I'm telling you for the last time, which is that special where he did all the jokes from the late 80s to the mid-90s that everybody knew. He closed that off, and then he went and started workshopping brand new material. And you got to hand it to that guy for doing that, for no, being, he, you know, he, at the top He could have been just world. fine. He could have been just fine doing the old stuff, and he, he, he did not yeah. need to throw it out, but he did. He did. He could have been saying, take my wife, please, for 60 years, and people would have been applauding. But so you got to hand it to him. For, and he, there's that scene where he's on stage at Stand Up New York, and he's sort of like meandering through these ideas that are completely undeveloped. And you hear the woman in the audience go, uh, is this your first time? And they, the, you know, the audience just loves it. And if you look, you, if you freeze, if you freeze that movie on that moment, you can see it on his face. I mean, that's that that's the face of an open micer who's never been on stage before. Right. It's, it's amazing. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, and that sort of goes back to what I was saying about how hard it is to sort of get down to really the meat of the joke, even though the you know the biggest celebrities have difficulty finding the funny in the joke. Well, it takes time. I mean, that's, you know, he's mm-hmm. uh, he's another one that I've seen, you know, show up at show up at Gotham on new talent shows. I got bumped for him once, which was which was actually worked out quite well for me. I wound up with an extra spot. But oh, nice. it was but he he comes in and he did a joke that, he, that I had uh, seen him do a year before and had a new tag. You know, which means right. he's not giving up on something. He's not throwing it out. He's still working it. And yeah. again, like like he doesn't need to but he doesn't really need to do anything because he's making fifty million dollars a year just sitting at home. But right. regardless of that, like clearly this is what he really loves to do, and he's just going to keep doing it. He's going to keep. He wants to be out there trying out new stuff. You know. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because I think uh, a year ago most of us would have said, "Well, yeah, why would you do anything other than just sit at home and collect <laughs> money?" But I mean, that's what I'm doing right now, and I'm pulling my hair out. So I, uh, I can sort of understand where, you know, his desire, I understand that. And I hope that that's, you know, hope to always continue to grow in that way. 
really what makes uh, uh, somebody uh, unforgettable. Are you doing Zoom shows? Yeah, I've done a couple of Zoom shows. I started out doing um, sort of just sitting at my desk and reading joke, you know, just like just reading jokes into the um, into the my computer. But I realized that I really enjoy uh, part of what I enjoy about performing is being on stage and you know really kind of getting into it and relating to people. So I rearranged my my house a little bit so I've got my computer on a on a shelf. And I have like a stage the way I, if you watch me on a zoom show, you can actually see pretty much from my knees to the top of my head with a couple inches above. Cause I want the audience to get, I want the audience to sort of get the experience of watching a comedian on stage. Otherwise it's just like, you know, it's a workshop. We're all sitting around a table and on, right. I don't think that's, I don't think that's part of the stand-up comedy experience. I mean, I, I, no, I, what I will say, I, I think it is part of the stand-up comedy experience to watch the performer in, in a different environment is set up like a show, etc. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I it's tricky. I mean, I I don't have a place in my apartment that I can set up um in that way. Like I sort of wish I could have hang a curtain or do, you know, do something to make it a little more stagey. Uh so I, like I like I have moved into my office and and it's great in a lot of ways, but what's not so great is the background and my my computer doesn't want to do virtual backgrounds for some reason, so right. you know you're stuck you're stuck looking at my shelves and that's not fun. I do like to hold a microphone that that has sort of been my concession to it. Like I just I feel like that's what little the, a little tiny thing that I can do that helps me feel a little more like I'm doing a show and maybe helps the audience feel a little more like they're do, they're watching a show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, anything that you can do to, to 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 communicate to the audience that you are the comic. I mean, especially on these Zoom shows, because, you know, there's no, we're all in the same box, right? I mean, everybody in Zoom is equal. It's not like on a show where, where you're you're raised above them a couple inches on the stage. Oh, and you're standing and you're holding a microphone. Everybody in Zoom is equal. It's just a matter of, especially if there's no, there's nobody spotlighting stuff. Anybody at any point in a Zoom show can just start talking, and if there's nobody managing it, then suddenly they're the comic on stage. So yeah, microphone's great. I, I honestly, I, I would like to go out and get one of those. I just haven't done it. Right. Yeah, no, that's why I had one, so it was you know not a big deal. I, I, I bought a cable that I can actually hook it up to the computer, so that way, because right now, right now it's just a prop. Um, but I'm I'm gonna I, I I actually have no idea what I did with the cable I bought it and it just got eaten by my apartment so it's here somewhere so eventually I'll plug that in and then you get you get a little I think you get a little more of a pop with the audio but you know whatever like I, again it's sort of can I do this one little thing to maybe make it a little more I, and I I didn't thought thought about it that way but like you said it's separation it's sort of something to kind of elevate you. In a uh, in a little bit, you know, away from that, you're just the another person on the Zoom call. You're just, you know, you you you're the guy telling jokes. Listen to me. Give me a yeah, a show. I always talk about this uh, in theater, which is my background in theater. Before I was a comedian, I was a lighting designer for theater and television. Oh. I always, they, yeah, they always talk about the uh, the contract with the audience, right? Like you're you're in a Broadway show. There's 800 people in a room and six people on stage and the six people on stage are having a conversation about the, something that everybody in that theater knows is not true. Right. They're talking about what's going to happen when some child who never existed is going to grow up. It's a contract with the audience. The audience paid to be entertained and they're, they're, they're part of it is to 
it and listen. And our part of it as a performer is to give them something that is worth value. And if you don't, if, if, if as the performer, you, you don't give them something that appears to have any value, then they won't listen. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Were well, you were a lighting designer in New York? Yeah, I mean, I've been in I've been in Brooklyn my whole life. So I grew up in I went to high school in Brooklyn, and I I got into theater uh, backstage. <laughs> I got into the theater backstage in high school because they didn't have anywhere to put me on stage, and I just kind of wanted to be a part of it. Um, and then that sort of led to a career as a, I went to college at, for lighting design, and then I worked for about probably fifteen years strictly as a lighting designer, production manager, sort of, I travel all kind of all over the world, really oh, all cool. over the, the Western hemisphere. And I worked with a lot of different people. All of that has sort of really informed my, my understanding of the way the comedy business exists. And I found that to be pretty helpful. Wait, what informed you? Just the, the travel you mean, or the, the theater experience? The understanding of, of entertainment as a whole Comics were, mm. by nature we're very we're very self involved. It's all about it's all about us, right? I mean, like we're you know we're on stage, nobody else is performing. There's really not much else to a comedy show. I mean, you have audio, but you don't really need audio work. It's just you need a microphone and you need lights, but you don't need like a lighting creator. You just need. It's really the only thing that's happening on stage is a person talking, and that that. It, it, I find that some comics who have come up just through stand-up comedy don't understand the entirety of what's happening, and I think it makes it harder for them when they're not when they're not on stage to re, to to function in the world of stand-up comedy. They don't know how to relate to people. They don't understand really. Like, it's funny you're on a com- you're on a comedy show with four other comics, eight other comics, ten other comics. Every single comic is having the exact same experience that you are. Right, whether they 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 until they get on stage, they're having the exact same. But every stand-up comedian thinks that their that show is just about them. Everybody that goes <laughs> on after them, everybody who goes on before them is an opener, and everybody who goes on after them, the audience forgot. Right? It's, <laughs> but but you got eight comics on a show that can't be true about everybody. Every comic can't be the audience's favorite. If you think about it like that from an outsider's perspective, you got to you start to realize that. Even the most solitary art form, stand-up comedy, or, or, or you know, singer-songwriter music, which would be the mo- the you know, the next correlation. Even, even, even that is a team effort, and I think that that kind of thing really helps to grow people to grow in the entertainment business. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I, I have a theater background, so I, I sort of I, it's one of the things that I've always appreciated about comedy is how much easier it is than theater. Like it's just so much easier to put on a comedy show than it is to put on a theater show. Like you just, I don't pay for the venue. Like I, I get to produce a show at a venue, and I come in, and you know we do a box office split, and it's like okay, that's easy. They yeah. keep the drinks, you keep the tickets, you know, something along those lines. And it's just, you know, the idea like you couldn't do that with theater. It just wouldn't work. And you know, like with lighting, like you. You get whatever lights are there, and you just sort of deal with it. Like it's not you're not going right. to bring in a designer. That's crazy. And I I know there are a lot of comedians that sort of know more know something about sound, and maybe know you know how to plug into the soundboard and things of that nature. But you don't have to. Like that's not a requirement. Right. All you got, all you got to do is just get up there and use the damn microphone. Yeah. But uh, again, it's uh, I think a theater background helps to to m- most comics. Huh? 
it's funny because comedians are like the only people I've met in the entertainment world who don't understand the rest of what's happening in entertainment. I mean, I talked to, a, I talked to somebody who works, let's say they own, they own a chain of dry cleaners, right? Let's say I'm talking to George Jefferson, right? And I tell him that I, I used to do lighting and a lighting designer, and that kind of person wouldn't understand what that means. I mean, most lay people think that the lighting for a, like a theater show is just you turn the lights on and it's all there. Right. Now, you and I know that that's not the case. Right. Everybody else in the entertainment business has an understanding of uh, of the the levels of that you go down to when you're building a set and audio and lighting and projection. I feel like comedians in general don't really understand that, and it's part of again the nature of the business that we're in is you don't really involve yourself with it. Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, I feel like some do. I feel like at some point, the, the, maybe the longer you're in comedy, I don't know, I'm just sort of going through my, in my head, I'm thinking about people who, who, who I feel like do talk about the lighting and do talk about the sound and sort of, you know, some of the other aspects. Like maybe, maybe when you're, you know, when you've got a lot more years in, but, you know, but you'd also, you don't, you don't really have to, like, like you can get, you can get by, by just getting up there and just telling your jokes, like without really thinking yeah. that much about all the, all the other aspects. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say, I would guess, though, that if you talk to a comedian who's been doing comedy for two years and has had to produce their own shows, they will have a better understanding of some uh, of lighting and sound than a guy like Burt Kreischer, who really was famous. He was a hit from the moment he walked on stage. I don't know oh, if you know, right? he, he was, yeah, he was dared. He was, um, that movie Van Wilder with... Um, uh, what's his face? Ryan Reynolds is based yeah. on Burt Kreischer, right? Right. So after that, after he had sort of gained some notoriety as the, you know, the, the, the number one frat boy in the country, somebody who was trying to cut him down, trying to take away his celebrity, suggested uh, he was talking to somebody. I, it was a comedian, and, and they were like, oh, I bet I could, I could do stand-up comedy, in the, uh, and I bet I could do a 45-minute set, no problem. And whoever the comedian was was like, sure, go ahead, do that. I think you could, expecting that he would go on stage and after two minutes bomb for, you know, realize how hard it is. He became, he, according to his version of the story, is that he was a hit at the first show and the second show. He didn't start to bomb until he was five shows in or something. He never had a bomb until he was five shows in. But even by then, he was already sort of well-known as a comedian. So I bet right. that if you talked to him, it would have taken him a long time before he really start getting involved in the technical aspects of things. Because why would you? I mean, if you're funny, if you're funny and you want to be funny and you can sell out an arena or a theater and have 500, 1,500 people laughing at your jokes, why would you bother learning anything about lighting? Other than stand here, right? I mean, right. I, I wouldn't know. Right. No, that's fair. That that makes that makes sense. Yeah, because I know I certainly learned a ton just um, doing produ producing shows, which I started doing pretty early. That was that was really a key part of just getting stage time. You know, like one one great way to get yeah. stage time was make your own damn show, and then you can then you can get it. You know, get get it on. Um, but uh, that's interesting about Burt Kreischer. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent of the specific details of the story, um, but uh, the point is is that some he 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 had um, he he was very lucky. I mean, he's got this, the version of the co comedy, the the rise to stardom that most comedy uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, people who don't know a lot about comedy think is what it is. I mean, that's the oh, other okay. problem with comedy. 
is that everybody thinks, well, you're funny, so you go on stage and you're funny. And if you're not, if you're on stage and you're not being funny, it's because you're not funny, so you should quit being a comedian. Which to me is one of the hardest things that about being a comedian. And honestly, a lot, one of the things that I found very similar about lighting design, that people don't know anything about lighting. They just know when it's bad. They know when the lighting is bad. They don't know when the lighting is good. And they know when comedy is bad, but they really don't know when comedy is good. I think they know. You don't think they know when it's good? I feel like they got, you know, I mean, ultimately, if the comedy's good, you're laughing, right? I mean, or, or I guess the comedy could be bad and you could still be laughing. That's uh, that, that's, that's kind unfortunately of unfortunately I mean, true. Yeah, yeah I guess uh, you, you can still laugh at pretty at pretty awful comedy. There, I mean, because obviously there are, there are famous comedians where you're like, really? I don't get it. Like, I'm not, that's not making me laugh, but it's making a lot of other people laugh. So I guess it works. Right. Um, does that drive you nuts to hear a story like like uh, Bert Kreischer's, where he where he just sort of gets up and just crushes from the minute he gets there? It does really drive me nuts, especially because I uh, I have a lot of difficulty connecting with the audience. Um, I think that people who read my jokes might even appreciate them more than if they if I was telling them on stage because I'm not necessarily easy to watch or listen to. But as far as Bert Kreischer goes, I think he's the exception that proves the rule. So I'm all, it doesn't bother me as much because I haven't heard a lot of those stories about people. I mean, you, you, we've all heard the stories about the guy who goes on or the, the comic who goes on stage in front of 15 of their friends and crushes the first time and then goes to an open mic the next week and bombs. That, right. that, that's 90% of the stories. So to me, I think that that's, the, the Bert Kreischer thing – it, it bugs me on on the level of him, but not to the extent that really it happens very often. Uh, now, what do, you, what do you mean when you say you're not easy to listen to and not easy to watch uh, on stage? <laughs> um, I think that people. Uh, I, I, one of the hardest things that I have is is uh, a lot of my jokes, like you said, they're they're one-liner jokes, and uh, the, the conversational aspect of comedy is more prevalent. So a lot of audience members. They hear jokey jokes where it's like uh, ba da ba da 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 da, and they think, "Oh, that person stinks." That's not a funny joke. They associate a lot of audience members associate jokey jokes with bad jokes or corny jokes or bad jokes. So a lot uh, I, audience members have. I find that the audience has difficulty getting used to the type of material that I'm doing and also the way that I'm delivering it. I I like to I like to to embrace the the weirdness i like to embrace my weirdness i find that i find that the jokes that i do are more from uh, are, are a little bit out of the reach of the audience so i like to let the audience know that i'm a little strange and the jokes are a little strange but i don't think that people really i don't think everybody can quite understand that sometimes they think well i understand what he's saying but i have no idea why he's saying any of this Hmm. Now, now, has comedy gotten a little too normal? Like, because wasn't it supposed to be a place for weirdos? Isn't, aren't comedians supposed to be weird? I do think that comedy has gotten a little too normal. I would rather have a comedian. It's like what I was saying before about the types of things that I prefer to hear a comedian talk about things that I never would have thought about. I mean, you know, everybody, you, you, you can break comedy down in, you can bifurcate comedy a million different ways. But one of the ways that I've noticed is that a lot of comedians go, um, this is something that you and I think isn't that funny. I prefer to say to uh, I prefer this is what I think isn't that funny. And a lot of I, I think audience members don't understand why I'm talking about something that I know that they don't agree with. Hmm. Interesting. 
interesting. So, so I mean, you're 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 going out of their comfort zone a bit, and maybe right. that maybe that just that doesn't really. They're not sure what to do with that. Like they like they you're not right. talking about you know hamburgers or. I'm trying to think of some, you know, some. I don't even know what tack anymore. I mean, Tiger King was was uh, was the one for a long time. That was the that well, was the you know, with the open mics, but Tinder and dating and sex. Tinder, there stuff. you go. Tinder, Tinder and Tinder yeah. and dating. Like it used to be Facebook, but I guess that would that's at this point we're all on Facebook. We just have to accept that. Uh, but yes, Tinder and dating. Uh, I always try to look for. Agree. Sorry, go ahead. I do agree with your with your idea that comedy used to be a place to, to, to meet the weirdo, to meet the person who was not like your neighbor. And I, I think that that is gone. I, I, I never thought about it like that. But, yeah, I definitely I definitely think that, that's, that, that comedy is moving more towards normalcy. And I would like to see it move more towards abnormalcy. Well, like where, what else was Mitch Hedberg going to do? You know, sell insurance. Right. I mean, you know, Mitch, Mitch Hedberg was clearly needed to be on stage telling those jokes. Like yeah. that was, that, yeah, you exactly. know, if he if he ain't doing that, what he's he's that he's he's the funniest guy working at Dunkin' Donuts. You know, like it's just <laughs> he he's he's got to be on stage. He's got to be telling those jokes, and it just sort of, it just sort of emerges out of him, like whether he wants it to or not. Yeah. And so yeah. I mean, I think I think it'd be you know, it, it sort of always has to be a place for that. But I, yeah, I mean, I don't know because I'm I'm relatively new to it. I'm only like a year and a half in. So my paying the way I pay attention to comedy significantly changed when I started doing comedy. So I don't know when this change might have happened or what you know. But that that was something that somebody uh, another comic brought up to me, and I I just always thought that was interesting. This idea that it's sort of you know, comedy being less a place for sort of the misanthropes, the, you know, the weirdos, the, the, the damaged people, things like things of that nature. I don't know. I mean, I think that there was a point where uh, it might've been when the celebrity of comedy really kicked in because, you know, there was a time in, in, in the early nightclubs, you know, after sort of after, the days of the Catskills when that kind of thing was moving more into nightclubs. And if you had material, then you could just go on stage. I mean, you didn't have to audition. You didn't have to get past. You didn't have to do bringers. You didn't have to do open mics. If you wanted to be a comedian, you go on stage because at that point, the idea of being a comedian was atypical. Nobody, people wanted to live their regular life. They wanted to go to work. They wanted to come home, have dinner, watch TV and go to sleep with the, and go to sleep. People didn't want to live that nightclub kind of life. And at some point, the, the idea of, of that life uh, became attractive and more people started to flock to it. And I guess that's probably when more normal people started, when the regular guy just wanted to be on stage. And maybe that's when it went away, I guess. Do you do you like that life? I mean, obviously we can't have it now, so we would like any life. But is that when when things are normal? Like, do you enjoy that? That kind of going out at night and being in the clubs? Oh yeah, I've never been a fan of uh, nine to five kind of life. Coming home, sitting, and doing the same thing every night. It's, I, I I want to be out. I want to travel. I, I even as a comedian, even even as a comedian, I've traveled all over the country. I've seen all kinds of different people all kinds of different places performed all kinds of different ways to me that's what that's what i want my life to be about i don't want to live the same day day in and day out no doing something different every day is is i find very appealing that that's always i've 
I've always I well, I mean, not always, always, but most of most of my life, I've always had my own career. I've, you know, where I had my own business, and you know, things were different. Like as soon as things got to be too much the same, I got bored. Like I, I wanted to do something yeah. else. So yeah, no, I totally agree with that. No, I, I just it, it's also been fun. I mean, the camaraderie of it. I mean, the it, it's been terrific in the in the pandemic. I mean, these Zoom open mics that we do. Um, I mean, that's definitely been a big part of sort of kind of my mental health and kind of keeping connected to people. Like I don't, I'm not sure. I I, I mean, I know I'd be watching more Netflix if I wasn't doing comedy, but I but I don't think that would be a good thing. Like I I'm much happier kind of spending a lot of my day writing jokes and then you know, hitting at least one open mic a day and just kind of getting those jokes out. And even if it's got a limited shelf life, you know, well, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll we're, we're going to be here for a while. And, may, you know, maybe tomorrow I'll work on something that's got a, that's got a little bit of a longer life. Um, are you do you are you writing a lot of COVID stuff, a lot of quarantine stuff? Uh, I am, but not only not exclusively that I've been um, writing, you know, it's, it's what I'm thinking about. So a lot of it is is about covid but about how it relates to the rest of my life right. um i mean an exa- example of one of a, of a of of some of a joke that i wrote i don't know six weeks ago you know we were two weeks into this thing was about how um if it wasn't for all these zoom shows i'd forget what it's like not to be booked on anything right like and that <laughs> that that to me is that's a joke about a quarantine, but it's really not. It's a joke about not getting booked as a comedian. So I, right. I mean, that's always going to be what my approach is going to be is, is, is how can I make a statement that is sort of not about start with a statement that everybody understands to make a statement that nobody understands. That's, that's a lot of what my comedy is anyway. So, so a, a lot of my jokes I'm getting into through a COVID door, but then you walk in and it's a, some, it's a completely different joke. Is that how you write? Like you sort of start with a, with one kind of statement and then sort of pull the rug out? Uh, yeah, actually that's really one of the best ways to describe it. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say I'll sort of say something in my head, and then I'll try and come up with the with the least expected uh, follow up to the statement in a way that people under if, if, if in, in a way that people can understand. That to me, I mean, a joke is a happy surprise, a joyful surprise. So it's it's it, it, I like to make the connection. In my mind, the joy is is made when you connect. The first start of the first part of the statement to the second start of the, the second part of the statement. That's where the joy, the, the aha moment, to me, comes from the connection. Um, but a lot of people just a lot of the the joy is just in punching down, I guess. So um, that's not necessarily about the left turn as much as it is about laughing at the other person. To me, I, I like to not punch down. I like to, to to try and take the left turn. So yeah, a lot of the times it's, it's actually the way you described it. Uh, say one thing and see what the least likely thing that could follow is. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds like a really good method. I I think that makes a lot of sense, and I can I can see that in your jokes. I mean, um, that's the other thing that's fun about been fun about the Zoom mics is is sort of meeting people that I hadn't uh, met before, and you know, and hearing their jokes. I like hearing everybody's take. Like I actually I yeah. actually really enjoyed that, and it's the kind of thing where you know since we don't have clubs to go to. And you know you can go to the Zoom shows, but you know it's just I don't know I, fi- I find the open mic thing you get to you get to sort of see more people in a shorter amount of time, and and I think it's interesting yeah. that we're all experiencing the same thing, and then so what's everybody's take on it? You know, like I got tired right. of the Tiger King stuff because it's not I'm not into it, 
I didn't watch it. I, I don't really want to watch it. I didn't really care. Um, but it's not like obviously, obviously, you know, quarantine. We're all living it, and well, well, what does Adam have to say about that? Oh, interesting. You know. Yeah, I've um, I, 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 I'm trying to just write as much as I can. I mean, in, in some ways, we're all in a really good position. Uh, I would say probably you more so necessarily. I mean, I'm assuming that a year and a half in, you didn't have too many things. You were, you were working towards a lot of things, but there's not a lot of foothold for you to lose, if you will. Like, you're, you're, this is a good time to write and to become a better comedian and to have more material. Those are, uh, the, the, people, the, more, the further your people are in, in comedy, the more they have, the more connections, the more they have to lose. If you, if you came out of this thing and you, all of your connections were gone, you would still have about a year and a half only before to get sort of get back to where you were, but yet you've got this massive amount of material that you've written because you're doing nothing but writing jokes. So those, those of us, I mean, I've been doing comedy about six years, so I, I have more to lose, but I don't have as much to lose as somebody who's been doing comedy for 20 years. Those people have 20 years back to whatever foothold they've gotten. So this is a good time for those of us who are sort of figuring out what our career is going to be because it really is just forcing us to stop working on becoming a successful comedian and get back to just writing jokes. Oh yeah. That's a really good point. I, I actually, I actually think it's been, I was thinking just the other day that this is maybe making me a bit of a better comedian. Like we'll see what happens when we actually get back on stage, whenever the hell that is. But there's definitely been things that I can point to that are that are positives, you know, sort of the ability 100%. to kind of work a premise a little longer and, you know, you know, not uh, not bail on a joke too quickly and, you know, react to things in real time and just, you know, just, uh, you know things, various things that I've been working on. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think that's actually going better. Interesting. And and then in terms of, you know, relationships, the people that, you know, people professionally that I've worked with, I'm. I can say I'm not in touch with everybody, but I'm in touch with some of them and continuing to work on it, you know, continuing to do shows. Right. So, you know, that, that, that all it's still available to you. That's the thing. Like, I know people who are who are like, I'm not doing Zoom shows. That's not for me. That's kind of this podcast kind of goes in waves. And that's sort of a, a, at the moment, the thing that I'm thinking about, because I'm seeing it with people and I don't really get it. Like, I, I, I understand if, you know, because it's definitely weird, but I also feel like this is what we have. So we got to do it. Like it's not yeah, yeah it's I mean, not going to be the same. It's not going to be great, but you know we got to try. Yeah, I don't understand how people cannot. If you're if you have that need to communicate your ideas to other people, I don't understand the the the, the just putting that on hold. I don't I don't quite get it. But maybe other people have. I mean, I think most of the people who are saying things like I'm not going to do Zoom shows are exploring other avenues, podcasting or web, you know, webcasting or videos or whatever. But to me, that's even less like comedy. That's even less like stand-up comedy. So why mm. would you focus on that instead of focus on something that at least can push you in the right direction so that you'll have some more you you'll have something to use at the end of the end of all of this. Um, I, I really have found that the, the ability to just sit down, not even the ability, but the requirement to sit down and write jokes all the time has really made, made me a better comedian. It's made me a more prolific comedian, and it's given me a lot of more material. I mean, I personally cannot wait to get on stage with all this new stuff that I have and go back to the places that I've been to. I, 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 I've been to a lot of venues a couple times and they know my act I mean obviously I have new jokes every time but the act is the same 
You know what I mean? There's a, there's the bits that I always do, and the perspective is the same, and all of that. I'm I'm really interested in in seeing these people and having them see what I'm doing. That been, that my life has been you know, my my thinking has been shifted a little bit these last couple months. I'm really sure. excited about all that. I think that's really cool. I would you know we got only about a minute and a half left, but I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that I love your voice. I, that was the first thing I noticed oh, thank about you, you and it's it's amazing. Is that just a Brooklyn thing? Is that uh, that you've got there? Uh, it's a Brooklyn thing. It's not really a Brooklyn thing. I mean, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn, and a lot of Brooklyn comes through in the way. The voice is just the voice. I mean, I just, you know, I, it's just kind of the way that people, I always go on podcasts, and I feel like people are, like, demanding some sort of explanation. Explain yourself, sir! No, no, I was just curious. <laughs> no, there's no real explana- explanation. It's just, it's just kind of the way that I sound. But, yeah, a lot of people, it's funny to me, because you didn't bring it up at first, and I thought, oh, he's not going to talk about it. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be. I'm sorry to be a basic podcast host. I, I didn't mean to. Uh, no, you know, know, I just. I, I I mostly wanted to pay the compliment, and then I figured I'd throw it. I'd throw it out there and see if there was any any additional information about it. Um, so this has been great, Adam. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, can you tell everyone where to find you on the social medias? Yeah, I'm, I usually get people my website. Uh, it's the easiest way to find me. AdamTellsJokes.com. That's Great got website. my YouTube, my my Instagram, my Twitter, everything, and and it's got right now my show list is empty, but it's got it'll that'll tell you where you can see me and actually hear me say some funny things instead of talking about myself. <laughs> this has been good. This is this has been good. Um, Adam, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, this has been Brett from the Bunker. We will be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. And please, the most important thing, everybody, stay safe. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.